Hello, and welcome to the Van Life Lab podcast, where every week we dive into the trials and joys of van life. And this week we have the biggest joy yet of van life. Eric and I got a puppy yesterday, so this podcast is going to be all about raising a puppy in a van. And we're going to speak to the pros, Kayla, about it, and she's going to answer all of our questions. And it's even hard to say the absolute biggest joy because just two days ago, okay, true, we got married. He's not so wrong. A lot's been happening. In the past <laughs> the puppy days. is already. I'm like, shoot. The <laughs> puppy has overshadowed yeah. the rest of our lives. Yes, we got married and then obviously up the next day. I mean, yeah. congratulations on all fronts. Um, very, very exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Our family is growing, and she's sitting here um, chasing an ant. So. <laughs> she's brought a lot of joy i think she got that one she got that chicken. one that's juniper anywho so um eric and i are coming to you guys from a stunning campsite on the day shoots it is um probably at four thousand feet elevation maybe not that high and we we're trying to basically find somewhere that we could sit comfortably for one to two weeks to potty train this cute little girl and so we don't plan on moving in till that happens kayla where are you coming to us from yeah i am coming to y'all from eco parque el espino which is a mountain bike park on the volcano that overlooks san salvador um it has quickly become one of my favorite spots um in this country because it is about 20 minutes from downtown San Salvador. So if I have anything to do in San Salvador, it's a really nice place to stay. And because it is up on a mountain, um, A, I can walk the dogs off leash and we've been doing all sorts of scent training here. Um, it's like some of the best trails I've found in Central America ever. Um, and it gets cool at night. So it's just deliciously cool right now. Um, and uh, yeah. We've been in San Salvador a lot lately. I got LASIK last week, so I've had um, a bunch of pre, um, pre-operation pre consults and then some post-op consults, so we've been spending a lot of time up here lately. Deliciously cool is my new favorite term. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I have exciting news for the podcast. We got two reviews in one day just a couple days ago, so before we talk Woo! all things cute puppies... Yeah, I want to read one of them, and then I'm going to save the other one for next week to keep you guys on the edge of your seats. Um, so the one I'm going to read is from Travel with R&R, and it is titled Very Informative. We are currently building our own camper van on our new 2023 high-roof extended all-wheel drive for transit cargo van. So this is a fantastic podcast as it's very topical and informative for us. We have watched lots of van building videos on YouTube and really enjoying the similar content in podcast format. Thank you guys. You're welcome. Thank uh, you, you guys for leaving a review. Yeah, I just have to say that kind of stuff makes my day. It really makes all of this this worth it that we're making a real real world impact to yeah. people and that you know we'll branch yeah, out to different, to different like uh, you know modes of communication whether or not it's Instagram or, you know, building an email list or starting a podcast, but that people are still, you know, listening and absorbing this information. So thank you. You guys made my day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's always, it's so funny because you can kind of see your listener numbers coming in through, you know, our hosting service or whatever, but it doesn't feel like there are people listening necessarily mm -hmm. until 
you get feedback on these sorts of things. So yeah, yes. delightful. Love love the new review. I Thank agree. you all. Yes, it is deliciously cool. So. <laughs> deliciously cool I delicious is one of my favorite um, adjectives especially to use about non-food items um, <laughs> so okay so tell me everything about Juniper I genuinely don't know how she came into your lives um, I don't know what you know about her her personality her breed you know what do we know and expect about Juniper right now tell me everything so Colby and I have been talking about a puppy for a long time probably more than a year. Yeah, definitely before we moved into Rocket, we were looking at Vichlas, Hungarian Vichlas. And we even had a conversation with a couple different breeders that were adding litters at the time. And it was the time in the pandemic where everybody was sort of seeming to get, get a puppy. So it was the puppy boom. And I guess we decided our lives were too busy and it wasn't the right time. And then it just became kind of a hypothetical discussion every time we would bring it up. One day we'll have a puppy. Like, are we ready? Are we not? But there was no concrete action. And then my mom, actually, who we were staying at uh, with her in Oregon, invited Colby to a puppy parade. A pet parade. A pet parade. A pet parade. And I was out fishing. And Colby went and saw these golden doodles walk by and they must have been they weren't walking they were carrying eight like newborn puppies and i saw juniper and locked eyes with her continue <laughs> and colby has an affinity for golden doodles because that was her childhood dog growing up she has a, a slight allergy to to some pet hair so having a, a hypoallergenic breed is beneficial to her and I guess to our lifestyle, like a, a more active breed, but not a large breed was something we were looking for. So we actually re-listened to our podcast we recorded with you, Kayla, about dogs and van life. And one of the ones recommended to us was a, a French Cocker Spaniel for like a, a small mid-sized dog, you know, maybe 30 pounds, but also high energy. So to me, it felt like you know, golden retrievers are water dogs, 100%. And that if you mix a little poodle in them, they get a little smaller. And then I looked at the size of mom and dad, and mom was 50 pounds, golden retriever. Dad was a 35-pound poodle. So, and we think we got more or less the runt of the litter. She was, she was definitely, definitely the smaller of the four puppies left. And she's a girl. So we're hoping she leans more towards the 35 to 40 pound range, more than the 45 to 50. But she kind of fits our desires of wanting an active puppy or dog breed while also not being giant. And she's the cutest. She's cutest. Yeah, she certainly is really, really adorable. So, you know, I know it was a, a relatively fast moving thing for you all once you met her since, you know, you met her when she was already born and then, you know, we're moving towards bringing her home, which is faster than, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at getting a purebred puppy, a lot of times we're connecting with the breeder, potentially even before the female dog is even pregnant. Um, and, you know, so I imagine you guys only had a couple weeks at most in between kind of meeting Juniper and bringing her home. So what were some of the things that you did to prepare? Well, Colby, of course, saw the puppies at the pet parade. And one of the next days she said to me, 
hey, you want to go visit these puppies? And I'm like, okay. So we tell the parents we're going to Dairy Queen <laughs> and take the car, <laughs> take the car to the breeder. Uh, and, and I think it was the next day I was like building, like there's one area in our van beneath our dinette that has exposed, exposed plumbing lines. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, these have got to get covered. So we see the puppies, you know, I fall in love and I'm like, okay, this is like actually going to work. But in two weeks, like, what do we have to do? And we have to get married in there too. So really it was like three days to outfit the van. So I built a cover for these plumbing lines. I think we like dropped a piece of plexiglass in the pass through between the main living quarters and the garage, right, right in the center of the van where you step up into the bed, there's a, an open pass through. So we just didn't want her getting back in our stuff there and that's also where our like electrical system is that you know has some exposed terminals so just just things to cover up and then we just started shopping and fitting fitting like her leash we got a bed for her i feel like too like our van even though we didn't build it for a dog it felt to us like we stared at it for a while and it genuinely felt to us like it was pretty puppy proofed except for those exposed plumbing lines and like access to the batteries, which would be a no bueno. So it, it felt pretty simple. And, and maybe we can toss the question back to you, Kayla, of like, what do you think we might have missed if you were to hear that and hear somebody was raising a puppy in their van? Yeah, um... We're actually, <laughs> funny funny uh, coincidence, Norbert has managed to get himself stuck on something that has never been a problem before. So apparently I have not cat-proofed my van well enough, and I need to take a very quick pause to figure out what on earth he is caught on. He's okay. like trapped under my fridge right now. So oh no, <laughs> please hold, may have further information. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Norbert had managed to get his harness hooked, or like hooked through one of the... Um, things that we use to keep the propane tank stabilized and uh, was just totally caught up on that, which has never happened before, but I did um, refill our propane today, so I might have put it back in a slightly uh, less secure position. So maybe that is something to think about, is really looking through for any kind of loose hooks. Um, and I know for me, when I was puppy proofing for Niffler and when I think about puppy proofing, you know, I think you guys did a really good job of thinking of the permanent things. And then I think for a lot of us, puppy proofing is also like an active daily thing that we have to remember to do because it doesn't do you much good to create these, you know, beautiful puppy proof cabinets or whatever if you don't remember to put your shoes up after you get home from your run. Or, you know, for me, I've, you know, cat-proofed this van how many times, but if I don't remember exactly, you know, what configuration to put things back in so that they're not a risk for his harness, um, you know, that doesn't do, a do us any good. Yeah, very true. One of the things that, that I looked at and was like, okay, great, we're already puppy-proofed here is our kitchen galley, our shoe storage, our shower, mm -hmm. our armoire, everything was already built out of aluminum. So I'm like, yeah. great, there's nothing to chew. And even if she does like scratch or pot one of the panels, you can like just pop them off, remake them, repaint them. It's like a right. you know, one for one, like, you know, take this piece out, put a new piece in. Mm -hmm. Really easy to rebuild. Yeah. Well, and so much of puppy proofing for kind of your normal home is putting stuff away or blocking access to things that the puppy is going to eat or destroy. And 
quite honestly, in a van, we never leave stuff out because a there's no space to have, you know, just your floor, your shoes in like an open rack or to have, I don't know, like a cute rolling bar that has all sorts of glass bottles on it or something like because we're driving on washboard or mountain roads all the time and there's no space, you know, so much of what would normally go into puppy proofing just happens naturally in a van. That's super true. I guess I didn't really think about that. Like the um, trouble that puppies often get into are, you know, when you can't see them or when they've, you know, found something that somebody left out and that you're completely right just doesn't, doesn't happen at all (laughs) in the van. Right. Yeah. The least puppy proofed part of this whole situation right now is my pile of like fishing gear that I have have out outside the van because I unloaded it from the back and just a pile of stuff outside our van. I got a pair of shorts there, shoes, but you got the bungee cord. She's she's looking at yeah the bungee cord. But inside the van, it's it's just we laid like blankets all down across the floor because we figured you know she'll be tracking a lot more dirt in, so just protect the floor. Also, to some degree, it's like a uh, like an accident absorbent. Mm-hmm. She has a, a pee or poop accident in the van which she hasn't she's been really great about going outside we've been on top of letting her out but you know never hurts to have backup yeah definitely no i mean i'm just looking around my van right now trying to think you know if someone told me i was taking home an eight-week-old puppy tomorrow what would i need to change and i've got a couple things i could kind of i would probably move around a little bit um you know the biggest one that i'm looking at is i have a an insulated curtain that hangs um, dividing kind of the driving cab area from my galley area. Um, and that I could see particularly the sorts of dogs that I like to bring home, which tend to be extraordinarily energetic and quite mouthy. Um, I could see a puppy deciding that that was a really fun fleecy tug toy and just destroying or ripping it at some point. But yeah, honestly, I'm looking around and it's not, I mean, my, I'm sure my van is already kind of dog proofed in some ways that I don't even realize because I'm just, I've, you know, I've lived with dogs my entire adult life, but I'm not really seeing a whole lot in my van that seems like a big, obvious, oh, you've got to put this away um, if you put bringing, bringing home a puppy. So what are some of your, uh, what are some of the questions that have come up for y'all um, so far with Juniper? What are some of the things that you're excited about, worrying about, not sure about, you know, all that sort of stuff? So the biggest thing was the crate. Oh, yeah. We went back and forth between... Do we get a crate? Do we not? Uh, Where do we put this giant crate, soft crate, hard crate? And ultimately, we just decided that more than a crate, she just has to be comfortable in a confined space. So the van, we can basically always have eyes on her in the van. But there's little space for our feet in our dinette area between like two seats and beneath the lagoon table that we just cut a piece of plexiglass like to the perfect size to fit on the inside edge of, you know, both of those like feet to structures. So we wall off this little area. It's like just the perfect size to the the little plush bed that we got her. So is that sufficient? Is that kind of the purpose of a crate or like, is she going to be terrified of going in a real crate in you know, five years when maybe we're not in a van, if we ever need to put her in a crate. I think the, the short answer here is 
if you're not having a problem without a crate, um, you don't need to prioritize getting a crate anytime soon. I would not have a crate in my van if I had, if someone, you know, again, like handed me an eight week old puppy tonight, I would not get a crate. Um, there's nowhere for me to put one. Um, it's not reasonable. The main reason that I need a crate is to have the puppy in a very small confined area that can be controlled. Um, and that, you know, already kind of fits the bill for the van. Um, I do like the idea that you have kind of a sub-confined area that can be helpful for potty training in particular. And what I did with Niffler was I didn't ever formally crate train him. Um, he had what I called a puppy palace, um, which was uh, what we call an X-pen or an exercise pen kind of set up in a corner. And his crate was inside of that. And that was the only spot with the really comfy, soft bed. And whenever I wasn't actively watching him, he was in the puppy palace and the, some, the comfy soft bed was inside of his crate. Um, and then he slept in the crate overnight. Um, but And we'll talk about nighttime in a minute here. And that pretty much just crate trained him on, on his own. I never had to do like a formal crate training protocol. Um, and as far as like, is that going to be a problem later on? No, you're better off not rushing crate training and making it something that's traumatizing. You can crate train dogs at any age. So I wouldn't panic about like trying to make sure that's a thing that she's introduced to at a really young age. Again, Niffler was passively introduced in his puppy palace and he slept in one at night and he had one in the car for the first couple months that I um, that I had him before I, I fully moved into the van. Um, so he had crate introduction, but um, I wouldn't worry too much about like rearranging your entire van to make room for a crate if you don't really have need for one because with with what your other setup is does that make sense yes i think potty training was what i was most thinking yeah. the crate would be used for kind of like that period of time before right before they need to go to the bathroom put them in the crate so they don't want to go to the bathroom until they whine and then you can let them out and they go right away yeah that can be helpful um you know, I find it more useful to really focus on a schedule, learning your puppy's schedule and kind of following your puppy's lead with potty training a little bit. And gosh, yeah, I don't think I used a crate train, a crate to potty train Niffler. I did use a crate to prevent nighttime accidents, but um, didn't necessarily need to use it during the day, especially if you're kind of home with them all day. I think the crate is mostly useful because, yeah, as you said, most dogs naturally don't want to go in the crate. So you can kind of yeah. use that to your advantage if you know that you, there's a chance that you're you're pushing it for them. Yeah, I think, too, like, our, uh, it's, it's hard to find information, right, about raising a puppy specifically in a van. Like, everything you read is geared towards homes, which are so big. And we didn't want to sound naive by thinking like our van kind of is like a, a crate or or maybe more so like a puppy palace, like you're saying. And it, it's reassuring to hear that <laughs> you, you're kind of saying the same thing. Like she's already pretty kind in the van. As long as there's a place she feels safe, it's OK. That, that kind of then leads me to the next biggest puppy thing is what is, is she able to sleep in the bed with us? if we're comfortable with the potty training situation whenever you want <laughs> yeah, yeah i so okay so honestly my broad ethos with puppy training and dog training and you know raising and all of that all at the same time is it's not a problem unless it's a problem so if you don't have any issues 
that a crate would solve, there's no reason to introduce a crate. If you don't mind her sleeping in the bed with you and she's not having accidents, then have her in the bed with you. You know, Niffler, what I did with him was his crate was on a table next to my bed for his first couple nights. And then it was on the floor next to my bed for a couple nights. And then over the course of a couple days, I moved it, you know, a couple feet every night to get it to kind of where I wanted the crate to be permanently. Um, and he was in the crate probably until he was four months old. Um, so really not all that long. That's like 16, 17 weeks. Um, and then he was, he's been free ever since. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I crate him as needed and it's nice for my lifestyle that he is well crate trained, but if you're not having accidents and you're doing a good job of getting up and taking her out, um, in the middle of the night, especially again, in a space as small as the van, I would be sleeping in the bed with my puppy from day one if I was raising a puppy in a van. Can you talk to us about how often we should be letting her out at night? Because I read online that it's roughly one hour that they can hold their bladder per month of age. And I think last night I let her out at 1130 and then got up at two, two and a half hours later. And she just didn't have to go. Which and she's eight weeks for reference. For reference, which was fine. Yeah, but it just meant that I missed out on a little sleep because then I my next alarm was in like forty five minutes. I'm like, okay, now I got to get her to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if, so, if she could have held up so fifty the, hours, that would have been ideal. Right. So there's kind of two different there's two different answers depending on whether it's daytime or nighttime. Um. So we'll start yeah. with daytime because uh, that's kind of the more okay. complicated one, and then we'll go to nighttime, which is I know what your question actually was about. So for daytime, that is where (laughs) I kind of think about that rule as far as, um, you know, roughly an hour per month of age Um, and then kind of topping out at 10, you know, eight or 10 hours um, is about the max I will ever do for a dog. I try not to leave my dogs for more than four at a time Um, anyway, just because like I don't want to have to hold my pee for more than four hours. I'm not going to ask my dogs to do it. Then the caveat with puppies, though, is so that's kind of like the max that you can assume Generally, what I find more was easier for me with Niffler. Um, and, you know, I think different people will find different thoughts, uh, schools of thought easier. Niffler, it was as soon as he woke up from a nap, whenever he had finished recently eaten or recently had a drink, and whenever he was kind of just finishing up playtime. And then, so for nighttime, generally, I would go about every three hours for about this age. And then as soon as you're starting to see that they're not needing to go at a specific time or you're starting to realize that they're able to wake you up on their own, um, Mm -hmm. I would then switch to more of like a puppy driven schedule for nighttime. Mm -hmm. Puppies are able to hold their bladder for much longer. So a lot of people at night, people get confused by that. They're like, why can't they hold their bladder for more than two hours during the day when they can hold it for six at night? And it's like, well, I also don't pee every two hours while I'm sleeping, but I pee every like 20 minutes sometimes when I'm awake, it seems like. So uh, yeah, I like overall at night, I'm a pretty light sleeper and pretty um, sensitive to these things. So I pretty quickly shifted away from an alarm. And just whenever I heard Niffler starting to fuss at night, I took him out. The caveat with that then though, is making sure that 
when you take them out at night, you make sure that it's like a quick, boring potty break. And then you go back to bed because the last thing you want is like a puppy learning that they can fuss a little bit at night. And then you're going to like take them out and you're going to cuddle them and then you're going to give them a snack. And then, oh, they grabbed a sock and it's really cute. So we're going to play. And then, you know, now you've got a puppy who's like trained to wake up at four in the morning for playtime. Oh, God. Got it. Do you still give them like the 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 video we watched on YouTube? Like every time they go to the bathroom outside, they get like a jackpot treat. Do you still do that in the middle of the night? Um, yeah, I don't do like a huge jackpot for potty training unless I have a reason to. Like if I'm struggling to potty train, yeah. I mean, going to the bathroom is kind of inherently reinforcing. It feels good to meet that need. Um, so I generally find like a couple treats and some praise does the trick for most dogs. Although like, again, if you're having problems with potty training, then you might want to go, um, more on the jackpot side. Or if you've got a dog who maybe is just a little bit less in tune with you or a little bit less sensitive to kind of mild praise and petting. Eh, Yeah. There's nothing wrong with giving more treats though. There's nothing wrong with a jackpot. I just didn't necessarily... I don't tend to find it necessary when I'm potty training. Potty training to me seems to be more about a schedule and getting them used to the habit than necessarily having them like learn that they can turn their pee into treats. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things we've learned, like, you know, down our YouTube rabbit holes or blog rabbit holes is there's so many different schools of thought and they all seem to work. It's just like you know, figuring out what works for you and your pup. So it's also good to hear that. I have to circle back and ask you to explain something because I know my dad listens to this. (laughs) And the first thing that he told me when I said we're getting a puppy is that the dog should not sleep in the bed with you because they, they see it as kind of like getting on your level in terms of like the hierarchy and then they try to climb you know the 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 social ladder higher than you and I think a lot of um YouTube videos also say that so what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean YouTube and TikTok and Instagram for dog training advice is just the absolute wild west and I very nearly just ruined our um you know explicit rating it's terrifying out there on the internet for dog advice. Um, and dog training period in the US is like a completely unregulated industry. Your hairdresser has more like requirements of what they need to know in order to be a hairdresser than dog training. Um, so like know that there are multiple states where you are allowed to be convicted of animal cruelty or animal abuse and continue offering services as a dog trainer. So like, That's where we're starting from as like an educational baseline in this country sometimes. And like I've written exposés on YouTube trainers with millions of views and subscribers who have been convicted of animal abuse and like are still that popular on YouTube. So like be careful out there. (laughs) Yeah. And then so with that, the the dominance thing, like there is like a whole like there's like encyclopedias on worth of information on um, the internet about this. But basically, dogs are not hierarchical social animals the way that we once thought they were. Um, The original research that kind of came out that said that dogs were kind of like a violent, social climbing, social status seeking um, species was originally based on studies in wolves, which are not dogs. And it was um, based on wolves from 
disparate family groups that were thrown together in like an enclosure. And then there was a lot of conflict. Um, and that's not how wolves live in the wild. Wolves aren't dogs. Um, and uh, yeah, like there's just all sorts of issues with it. So basically dogs are collaborative family dwellers, not really social status seekers. Um, dominance as it exists in most wild animals, and I'm sorry, you've really opened a can of worms here. Um, <laughs> but dominance as it exists in most like in most animals, and dogs are included, is a, a relationship between two animals as it relates to one resource. What that would mean is like between my two dogs, if Niffler is in a choice sleeping spot, say closest to the van, and Barley comes over and looks at him, Niffler will get up and move, and then Barley will go take that choice sleeping spot. That is a dominance interaction, but dominance is also like the entire point of it is to reduce conflict and reduce aggression. You know, no, Barley didn't have to bite Niffler in the head to make that happen. Niffler just knows yeah. that he yields to Barley and then there's no issues. Um, and there are other situations where Niffler comes up and can push Barley out of the way for something, um, namely like Frisbees and toys. Barley will yield them to Niffler. So all of that to say, also within all of that, there's just no evidence that having your dog sleep in your bed with you is likely to cause any issues. Um, there are a couple specific cases where I recommend that my clients not sleep in bed with their dogs. But going back to that first main bit of advice that I gave, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. The main times that I tell my clients to not sleep in the bed with their dogs is if their dog is displaying something like spatial resource guarding or um, maybe maybe pain related aggression where if you've got a dog who has hip dysplasia and when they get bumped at night they growl about it because it hurts you know that might be a situation where it's better for everyone to not have the dog sleeping in your bed so very long answer I apologize but there's just like so much to say there um, and I could go on for much much longer but I will stop now <laughs> no I actually really appreciate that because you know, as first time puppy owners, it, it, it is really hard to find the right information and you want to do the very best for your puppy. And so you hear these things and, and you don't know what to do sometimes. So I appreciate the rabbit hole. Yes. First time puppy owners appreciate it. But I want to ask a very van specific question and that's about campsite safety. It's something we're oh, yeah. in the middle of right now. We, uh, we kind of chose a campsite that's basically at a dead end road. So nobody else is driving down here, but what should we do for like assessing the safety of a campsite for our dog in terms of exposing them to things we don't want them to both fear wise, but also maybe disease wise mm -hmm. or like drowning or choking hazards, uh, all things I've, I've thought about. Yeah, it's amazing how, yeah, I mean, none of us here are human parents, and it is amazing how just having a dog or, you know, a puppy or a kitten come into your life makes you see the world as so much of a scarier place, and I can't even imagine what it's like when you have a toddler. But, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of different things kind of swirling around there. So as far as disease safety, the biggest thing, the, the two big baddies that you're really worried about, um, at least in North America, are parvo and distemper. Both of those are really, really scary diseases. Distemper has something very close to 100% fatality rate, and parvo is also a very, very big deal. It's a little bit more survivable, but still like kills a lot of the dogs that 
contractant, and they're both generally transmitted through fecal matter. Distemper, again, is a lot scarier. It can persist in the environment for a much longer time versus parvo. Generally, it's a little bit more like you would be able to kind of see the feces. So what I generally recommend, and this is something that is relatively area specific, so I would recommend if you have the opportunity as you're kind of raising your puppy and they're not done with their vaccine schedule, so for that first two months, you know, between eight and 16 weeks, I would try to be in an area where you can ask a veterinarian or kind of check around and see what the prevalence is like in your area, because there are certain parts of the country where distemper or parvo are at much, much, much higher levels than in others. And like, honestly, in a van, I would just avoid those places because we have that privilege. Generally, my understanding is the Pacific Northwest, you're not in a huge risk. What I would avoid with a young puppy, though, is anywhere that is really highly trafficked by dogs, because both of these diseases are just your risk goes up by a ton. If you're in an area where a lot of unknown dogs are coming and going and, you know, defecating, urinating a lot, and it's not being cleaned up well. Um, So like dog parks, I can definitely think of some BLM campsites that I've been to that would be just as um, scary to me as a puppy owner. And all of that said, what I've also, you know, heard in interviews with um, with veterinarians and like I hosted the Pandemic Puppy podcast for while I was raising Niffler and talked to a couple veterinarians about this sort of thing. Generally, what we see is if puppies come from a vaccinated mother and you stay up to date with their vaccination, you know, recommended guidelines from the veterinarian, and you're not taking wild risks and the puppy is generally healthy, those antibodies and those vaccine schedules are made to work together so that your puppy never has times where they're like massively at, you know, just like gaping risk to these diseases. They are at a higher risk when they're really young, but most really bad, scary cases of parvo or distemper are coming in from puppies that were never, ever vaccinated or had some other kind of like extenuating circumstance. So like it's definitely something to worry about, but also definitely not something to panic about. And that is partially because also, unfortunately, our vaccine schedules and what we call um, a socialization window for our puppies almost perfectly overlap. And that socialization window is when your puppy is basically on a neuro, neurological, neurochemical level, more open to new experiences. So things that they are exposed to kind of neutrally or positively at that younger age become things that are considered normal for them and are easier for them to accept. So things that they're exposed to when they're younger generally become things that they're like good to go with as they get older more easily than things that you expose them to at the, for the first time when they're like two years old. So the reason those two things come up together is... If you get too worried about the disease question and then you just, you know, you keep your puppy in a glass box until they're 20 weeks old and done with all their vaccines and then you take them outside for the first time and they've never, you know, seen a semi truck or, you know, seen a cat or, I don't know, heard uh, a motorcycle in the distance, they might have really, really strong fear responses to that that are going to be a lot harder to deal with and you know, it's always a balancing game of working through those things. And it's it's just, it's really, you know, area dependent, your risk tolerance dependent. But like the the American Association of Veterinary Behaviorists or, yeah, I think, I think that's what it is. They really recommend, you know, prioritize getting out, prioritize socializing in safe and intelligent ways. You know, be smart about disease prevention, but don't never, ever take your puppy out because of that, which I know is, is not what you were asking. But um Does that answer the question fully um, or do you have anything you want me to circle back to? That was part of it. It's all spread through feces. How long, like how fresh does the feces need to be? 
the because I did a walk around camp and thoroughly looked for like droppings. Is it like something that they would have to literally eat some poop or like can it persist? Yeah, I I'm actually not a hundred percent sure on that. I think there's some, you know, it, it depends a little bit on the disease. Um, you know, I do know that it is possible to have some of these diseases persist in the environment when there isn't kind of feces that is still visible. But again, generally with like a healthy puppy, what I recommend for people is, you know, if, you, if you're not in an area that is like obviously overrun with dogs and obviously there's like tons of, you know, feces out with like a healthy puppy that has been released from its home with a clean bill of health from, you know, the veterinarian and the breeder, you're probably okay. That's good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we just yeah. both got a little bit panicked. Our eyes got wide. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a hard thing to talk about because it's like on one hand, like distemper is like almost 100% fatal and like can persist in the environment even when there's no feces that you can see anymore. But then on the other hand, like really like I worked in sheltering animal shelters for years and only saw, I think, two distemper cases in my entire time there. And one of the shelters I worked with saw 20,000 animals a year. And that was in Denver. You know, and again, these things are really regionally dependent. And both of those cases were puppies that were like six or eight months old and had never gotten a vaccine in their lives. So they're, you know, you can imagine like the different, even if you missed a vaccine by a week, your puppy has more antibodies than those puppies did. But again, like talk to your veterinarian um, because it varies so much from area to area. And, you know, if you have a reason to suspect that your puppy is immunocompromised or sick already in any way, you know, you'd probably want to up those precautions. Okay. Yeah, we should do that tomorrow. Want to ask about the step? Yeah. Um, I want to ask another question because I'm actually just watching Juniper now take some very large jumps. One of the things that we are not sure what to do about is getting into and out of our van. When she's fully grown, it's going to be a breeze. But we have, I bet you, a two-foot jump to both get in and get out of our van. Is that something we should be letting her do? Or should we be picking her up? Like, up until now, we've been trying to, you know assist her in the jump but there's a couple times where she just flings herself up and, and, and goes for it like is that good is that bad what do you recommend yeah again not a vet um so you know i just i just have to that's like my little uh tick that i have whenever i get asked questions like this um but my understanding is if they're doing it on their own without encouragement. You know, it's good for puppies to learn how to use their bodies and to do normal range of motion and build up the muscle tone required to do that. Where things get risky is if they are flinging themselves off of things that they're not able to catch themselves on, which is a risk in the van. Or if, you know, say you were really excited about getting into like world-class agility and you're like asking her to do jumps at a really young age, that can be potentially harmful to joint development. So what I would probably be doing at this age um, and, you know, going forward for her is I would actually be more worried about jumping down and spotting her on the way down. Um, so what I did with Barley, um, you know, when he was recovering from his surgery um, and what I did with Niffler when he was littler, um, although he was he was already five or six months old and he was a big boy um, by the time I got the van. So he was all legs and uh, enthusiasm. But I tried to I kind of taught them that if I put my hand on their chest as they're about to jump out of 
out of the truck. Um, we had a really tall work truck for uh, last summer or off the bed. Then they can kind of push into it. And then we'll like I've kind of taught them to like let me help them carry them down because you're really trying to protect those shoulders and, and elbows on the way down. That might be, you know, with a young puppy, you're probably going to have to do a little bit more of like, this is what's happening now. <laughs> you're being levitated. But over time, you can kind of get them used to the assist. Um, and then on the way up, what I do with Barley now as he's, you know, he's uh, seven or eight months out of a pretty major surgery. Um, and is he's nine, he's starting to slow down and show a little bit more hind end weakness. I just kind of, as he's jumping up, keep my hand under his bum so that if I need to give him that assist for the last three inches, I'm ready for it. Um, most of the time I don't need to, but there have been a couple times where I've caught him as he's, he's slipped a little bit. Um, and that would be the same thing I would do for a puppy. And then, oh, sorry, one last... I think the one last thing to think about with these joints is like overall better to help them if you can. But if you see Miss Junie and she is like mid leap and you are across the van, it's probably better to not try to dive and intercept. Um, like if you're not kind of in already a controlled and ready way to move up or move down, you're more likely to knock them off balance or twist or something. Um, if you kind of do a panic grab in most cases, you know, obviously use your judgment call. Your adrenaline will probably yeah. do an okay job of telling you if it's something that is like a real emergency yeah. that you actually should dive for. Um, but generally, yeah. I would say, you know, try okay. to help when you can. But if you're not prepared to let them let them let them go. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Also, kind of it, it feels like that's what we've been doing, which makes me feel good, too. More or less. Yeah. My other question about campsite. Well, I don't know if it's campsites or van life or. I think proportionally we spend more time outside, which as van lifers, so it now has me thinking of how often to clean this child. Like we are at a very dusty, dirty campsite and I know dogs will be dirty, but I just feel like, you know, she's outside almost all day. And I Googled today, like how often can you give them a bath? Because I know there are limits on that, but yeah, it said something like once a month or something. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but um, how often should you bathe a puppy that is dirty? Like, we are living outside as van lifers. I don't bathe my dogs. Really? Okay. At all. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. What I but you go in the water. do do, if they are, yeah, I, they swim all the time. And yeah. To me, bathing means, like, I'm getting, I'm getting shampoo out. Oh, you know, I've done that. I guess Barley's been sprayed by skunks twice. Um, and that was probably the last bath he got was uh, a skunk incident. Niffler has actually never been sprayed by a skunk. And I don't know if he's ever had a bath. They swim a lot. Um, and I do, I spray them down. So I have a little half gallon pump up sprayer that I really like that I can use, that I use to spray them off, uh, particularly with mud. And the nice thing about that is it's got 360 degrees spraying. So usually the hardest part to clean and the mud, the, is also the muddiest part, which is kind of that chest belly hair area. So I really like that. Dusty, I generally don't bathe because in dusty environments, getting them wet will then turn the dust to mud and make my situation worse. So I might beat them off a little bit before I let them in the van. <laughs> you know, if you're at the stage where like you can kind of like <laughs> flap them on the ribs and like <laughs> you get like small dust storms coming off of them, then like 
yeah, I kind of beat him off a little bit before I let him in. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of unfortunately at this stage, I've just uh, it's it's easier to clean the bed than it is to clean the dog for me. <laughs> yeah, I think I was I did a little workout today and I was showering off on the side of the van. And I was like, should I spray her? Should I not? And I opted not to. But I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I would have been upset because then it would have turned to mud. And I will preface this with like, yeah. Eric and I have maintained a spotless, like spotless van for eight months. So I think maybe it's hitting me a little harder that this like ball of dirt is like, hey, <laughs> this ball of dirt. <laughs> That's what she is right now. I'm watching. Kaylee, you brought up a good point about your dog swimming all the time. Mm. And I kind of walked Juniper down to the river and she kind of like. She was plodding in with like no hesitation up to her chest. I'm like, uh, like, and I, I stopped her and I picked her up and I moved her out and she was fine with it, but I didn't know if she knows how to swim <laughs> and if she would just go in and like straight drown in front of me. Like, of course I would pick her out, but I don't want her to have a bad experience. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen puppies as young as seven or eight weeks um, with life jackets being introduced to swimming or paddleboarding or, you know, all sorts of things. I think... Where you get people being really conservative about this is it is a little breed dependent because if you've got really stout dogs, so think like bulldogs, they don't tend to be good swimmers anyway. They just kind of sink. And, you know, I, I know there are some bulldogs who can swim, but like in general or dogs that because of other body morphology things. So think like Dachshunds or Corgis that are just like never going to be great swimmers either. You know, general advice that you're going to see on the internet has to be pretty conservative because of you don't know who's reading and what breed they have. So, you know, with most puppies that I've helped raise or watched raise or, you know, have clients raise, um, if they're interested in the water, they get to go in the water. I try as a rule with until I am very confident in the dog's skills. And honestly, even then, I try not to let my dog swim in situations where I am not willing to go in after them. So if I think it's too cold or too rough or whatever for me to be willing to go in after them and feel confident that I could pull them out, I'm generally not encouraging a lot of swimming. Um, both of my dogs are very strong swimmers and they're certainly are times where I bend that rule, but like a definitely with a puppy, I, you know, if she wants to go in and she wants to swim, I would probably be comfortable with that as long as, you know, I felt like I could comfortably and confidently get her out. You know, I, there, I don't think there's any reason to stop her. She's a young, athletic, confident girl. And a lot of times also the reason that you would wait to introduce dogs to water is because they don't like it and you don't want them to have a bad experience because you're pushing them too hard. Niffler did not start swimming reliably until he was like six or seven months old and he was very hesitant about water until then and now he's i mean he body surfs like legitimately like waits for waves and then surfs in with them um <laughs> but that was because i was patient and you know didn't scare the crap out of him with any early swimming experiences so yeah maybe we'll give another shot with juniper tonight i think no i think my fear here though is I, we saw a lot of beaver beaver like markings and i would hate for there to be like gerardia in the water and herbie swimming Maybe. she would have to be drinking the water for that yeah but dogs always drink the water when they're swimming Ooh, yeah giardia is definitely a concern yeah um, yeah i mean and then as far as the giardia question goes and swimming and whatnot you know there's no vaccine for giardia you know and treatment for it sucks it's it is a really cruddy thing to have to deal with my personal ethos with it though is 
you know, my dogs are going to be out in wild places. That is their lives. You know, that is what I really value about sharing my life with dogs is being together in wild places. And that is a risk that, you know, I do my best to manage. And I think overall, my lives, my dogs' lives are better because they get to run around um, like wild creatures in the forest and, you know, swim in beavery water and you know with young puppies they are more sensitive so you know i would i would watch it um and you know be as careful as you kind of can while still staying comfortable and sane and it's 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 kind of a personal decision i have not yet had a dog have giardia knock on wood and i might be more cautious if i had gone through it although i've, I've dog sat dogs with giardia so i do have a pretty good understanding of how bad it can be it's kind of a it's it's a risk tolerance thing you know some people are never going to feel comfortable having their dogs off leash in the woods and some dogs are harder to have off leash in the woods than the others and uh yeah you know i think it is kind of a personal decision based on you know what you know about the risks in your area what you know about your dog's health and you know what your own risk tolerance is as is life in general mm-hmm. kayla thank you so much for letting us pick your brain we really appreciate it and juniper does too I think it would be fun if people like this episode, let us know in the reviews if we should maybe do a follow up in like a couple months um, as things kind of change for her and things we've learned or more hurdles that we've overcome. Let us know and we'd be happy to do that. Otherwise, we will catch you guys next week. Okay. Yeah.